Hey, good morning, North Boulevard, whether you're at West or whether you're at East or whether you're on the online campus. I'm so glad you joined us today and I'm glad I'm just honored that I get to preach to you today. I've really been uh, looking forward to the 22nd to today. It was sort of my day to come back into the pulpit. I, my plan was to be live at East Campus and of course live on the screen at West Campus and online. And I've been working on this sermon for weeks and even practicing some wet slobbery kisses for you. And uh, in so many ways, today was kind of like a big day for me. Um, and then we got good news. It, it's really good news for us, which is a surgery that we were supposed to have to finally get to the bottom of what's going on in my lungs was moved up. We had the opportunity to do it Friday. And so suddenly I got knocked out of being in person with you. So I recorded this sermon on Thursday of last week so that you could still have me as your preacher today. Hope that's okay with you here on Sunday. So I just was thinking about today as kind of a kind of a day for me to reintroduce myself and say, hey, let me tell you a few things that have gone on and what God is teaching me that I might can teach you. I'm going to start by telling you a story. It's a true story. On June the 19th of 1994, yeah, June 19th, 1994, I preached a sermon at North Boulevard on a Sunday morning on how to be a good parent. Three weeks later, I had my first child, Rachel. <laughs> and I look back on it now in hindsight and I think, you know, that was really kind of indulgent for you at North Boulevard to allow me to preach a sermon on parenting when I had never actually done it. I had books on parenting. I had uh, scriptures on parenting. It was Father's Day, so you know, there was that. I had a lot of theories on parenting, especially when I watched some of you parent your children. <laughs> it's just a joke. But I actually had never done it before. And when I finally had a child, when, when Rachel came along, I thought to myself, oh my, this just got real. And um, when Jonathan came you know, a year and a half or so later, uh, it, it really began to reel. I, I mean, really got real. It got re even realer when John came. And it kind of proved to me the old adage that in theory, theory and practice are the same, but in practice, they're not. That is, Oftentimes we can have views and viewpoints, biblical positions, theological positions, doctrinal positions, beliefs, or even convictions in theory. But it's only when they get really tested, when the rubber really meets the road, when we actually face hardships or fear or pain, that we have the opportunity to really know what the Word of God, the will of God, and a relationship with God is like. That is, it's really different to have a theory about what the Bible teaches than it is to actually experience it. So I've been on this journey a little, uh, about 10 weeks or so ago. I was diagnosed with stage 4 renal cancer. Most of you know that, and I'm not going to go through all of that. Um, but what I've learned over the last 10 weeks, and I've only been at it for 10 weeks, is that the promises of God, the teachings of the Scripture, the, the beauties of following Jesus, they're a lot more real than I thought they were. And I really mean that sincerely. I don't know that I knew how real all of this could be until going through the terror, really, and that's, that's the best word to describe it, that and just the grueling routine of of this illness. Uh, I want to say, even before I go any further, I've only been at it for 10 weeks. 
some of you have been at this for years and some of you have been in terrible, terrible places for years. And I want to honor that by not suggesting that, you know, my 10 weeks somehow measures up to the sufferings and the losses of other people. But I will say for those of you who have cancer, I now I understand a little bit about what you've been through. I understand how terrifying it can be to, to find a knot in your body that you didn't know was there or to fail a test that you thought you could easily pass or to go through some ordeal only to find out that it didn't help any. Um, what it can feel like to have a sleepless night or lots of sleepless nights or the anxiety you can feel when you know the next surgery is coming up um, and the pain, just the pain of having to deal with all this stuff. Uh, the fear of, you know, can we afford it? And all of this, I'm telling you only that I'm beginning to get a taste of it. And what I know is when we face these kinds of hardships, and it's not just cancer, when we face these kinds of hardships and these kinds of fears, these kinds of pains, whether, whether, or whether it came from, I don't care where it came from, whether it's a demonic attack, whether it's the discipline of God, whether it's the foolishness of what I've done to myself, whatever it is, God gives us a chance to dig down deep and actually to taste and to see that what he has taught us is real. It's not just a theory. It's real. It really works. It's the truth. It's the foundations of the universe. That is faith in God, faith in the God of the scripture, faith that what God has said is real, actually can become for us a solid, a rock solid place to stand. And maybe in some cases, only through hardships, and only through suffering, and only through pain. And I think one thing that God is trying to teach me right now is that I could have a theory on all sorts of biblical principles, Christian principles. But until I go through hardship, it might only be a theory. In fact, I want to read to you a text from James chapter 1 where James essentially says this. Consider it, James says, pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm realizing what the Bible has taught all along, which is, it's often our hardships, or as James says in this text, our trials that produce in us maturity, but only if you let it. So actually I know that we really have a choice when we face hardships. You have a, a child with a persistent disability, the pain of that. Or you're in a marriage where a spouse just is unloving and it's at times even cruel and it just seems to drag on and on and on. Or you lose someone, a husband or a wife or God forbid a child and every night you're filled with the pain. What I know is that we have a choice at those moments when life really becomes real. We can become discouraged or we can dig down deep and find that the truths of God have been real all along. I used to hear people say this, so-and-so, you know, 
fought a courageous fight with cancer. And I have to be honest with you, I was never against hearing that, and I always loved the people who said it, but I didn't understand it. I kept thinking, well, what's the courage? I mean, you don't have any choice in it. If you got, if you got a disease like this, you can't, there's nothing I can do about it. Not much. But now I, I actually understand what that means. That courage, when you're facing some hardships and when you're facing some fears, some kinds of fears, when you're facing some sorts of pain, courage is just the determination not to become discouraged. Courage is just making the choice that I believe what God has said and I'm going to stand here and I'm going to stand here joyfully. So I want to share with you a few scriptures that have really popped off the page for me. Scriptures that have really proven themselves to me. So, uh, you know, I had hoped to be with you in person today and it was going to kind of be a personal testimonial and now feel a little bit weird that I'm doing my return, my grand return sermon, personal testimonial <laughs> on video, um, it, doing it before a surgery. And when, as far as I know, I may still be lying in the hospital when you're watching this. I don't know yet. But let me do this. And then I'll get off the personal testimonies and we're going to start a series, God willing, on the book of Colossians. You're going to love it because Colossians is a powerful book on how to be the new you. And I'm going to share with you how, how God is revealing himself, the depths of himself and the truths of what he has said just in my little story. So I'm going to share just four scriptures with you and how each of them has become more real for me, that, how they move from theory to practice. So the first one is Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. So I've, I've printed them out. Let me read them off. Therefore, Jesus says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want to start here by saying that what Jesus is teaching us is to live one day at a time in this text. And actually, that text has made sense to me through the years. But you all have heard me say this before. I'm an anxious person. And uh, I, I've, I've wondered sometimes if I'm not just a couple of feet from an anxiety disorder. It's been really hard for me my, my whole adult life. I play out every scenario, how it can go wrong and how to prepare for this one and when it goes wrong or if it goes this way, how do I prepare for that one? There's some sense, I guess, in which that's helpful because I'm, I'm often prepared for all sorts of things. But it's a, it's a vicious circle of worrying. You know, what could go wrong? And you're always thinking about tomorrow. My dad once made the comment to me, Daddy, Daddy kind of has the same personality type. He says, son, your ship is already in. Stop waiting for it to come in. Your ship's already here. And I think Jesus is teaching us this, that you really don't have much control over what's going to happen down the road. We have some control, and I'm not trying to relinquish our responsibilities for doing wise things. I'm only saying that you can do all sorts of wise things and then wake up one day and realize you know, I still lost. I still lost things that are valuable to me, things that I care about, my health or, a, you know, a family member or uh, who knows what, you know, finances and so forth. And so what Jesus is reminding us of is that you do have today and you can squeeze the joy out of today. You can make today worth your investment, worth your time, and then tomorrow you can worry about tomorrow. Now, I've preached this text a lot of times. I really have. I've memorized the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my one of my go-to places. But I have to admit, it's been a theory for me more than a practice until about the last 10 weeks. And all of a sudden, it seems as though God is teaching me, you know, you don't know how this is going to unfold, David. So now is your chance to learn to live one day at a time. 
So I have to tell you again, I, I, I do have some insight now into those of you who've lived with cancer for years, and we have a lot of you who have. Uh, one of my oncologist friends says that about one out of every three Americans will have some form of cancer. Now, oftentimes they're you know, not very malignant, but about one out of three. So many of us will have this. What I know is that, you know, just the, it, it, it's grueling. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've been tested. I've been probed. I've been stuck in surgeries. I've had just so many, you know, we've gone to Vanderbilt three times this week. And at some point you just kind of start dreading what the next day is going to bring. And that's when you have a choice. You can either let yourself become discouraged or you can let these scriptures become real. Guys, it's true for you. You can let these scriptures become real because the truth is they are real. It's true, Jesus says. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just before this is that whole lengthy section in Matthew chapter 6. You know, you don't see the birds out there worrying. You don't see flowers worrying. God's going to take care of you. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and clothing? Is not the body more important than the things we worry about? So some of you have prayed for, a lot of you have prayed for a miracle. And I want to say this. God still does miracles. I mean, hands down, slap them across the face miracles. He does them all the time. And, uh, and we've prayed for a miracle for me. And, and if you have, thank you for that, because I believe in it. But I'm going to tell you a miracle I think God's already given me, no matter what else happens. I think, now this is where I am today. I think God's given me a miracle of peace that I haven't had maybe since I was a kid. And I'm not bragging. I just think it's sort of like God has ripped out from under me the opportunity to worry. I mean, why worry? It's going to happen. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen anyway. And it's almost as God has said to me, now, now, will you just trust me? Will you just let today be enough? I'm trying to brag on God. I'm, I hope I don't sound like I'm bragging on myself. I just want you to realize it's real and it it's true. And when I got my head around the first two weeks of my diagnosis, I was terrified. I mean, I didn't want you to see me because I was in a, I, it kicked my feet out from under me. And I just kept saying to the Lord, this can't be happening. I can't believe, we have no cancer in my family. Well, how could this be happening? It can't possibly be true. And then it's like God said, okay, I'm going to give you peace about this. And he's given me a great peace. Now, I've had some rough days, but it's true what he says. He does have a peace that passes understanding. It's available to you. You may not even know it until you go through those hardships, until you go through the fear, until you suffer with some pain. But his peace is available whenever tough times hit. You really do have a choice. You can choose discouragement. You can give up. Or you can have the courage to say, Lord, deepen my faith. Make my faith rich. Make me the man you wanted me to be. That, that's my first text, learning to live just one day at a time. Let me share with you another text that's really popped, uh, uh, become alive for me. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. I'll, I'm, I'm really excited to share this one with you. Where Solomon says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity 
the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Oh, my goodness. So I've heard this too all my life. I've been in church my whole life. I've heard people say, I don't know what I'd do without my church family. And I, I believe that. It, it's been a great theory for me. Um, I've preached it. But I'm going to tell you the last 10 weeks, it became real for me. I don't know what I would have done. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I could not have survived without my church, without you, North Boulevard, and without my family. I could not have survived. I know I couldn't. I would have slipped into discouragement. I would have been as more despair than I want to admit to you. And instead, what do I have? I have a whole church that has showered me and my family with love. It, guys, I can't even tell you what else is going on. It, it, there's so, and it's not just even North Boulevard. I'm going to say North Boulevard, you're my family. But it's across, it's, a, it's even across the country. So, uh, let me just share, I'm going to show one or two shows and tells. I don't know how well you can see this. These are the cards I've gotten since I got sick. These are the cards I've gotten in the last 10 weeks for my sickness. These cards are from all over the country. I've gotten cards from Methodist ministers, Baptist ministers, Christian church ministers, DOC ministers. I've gotten cards from the West Coast, the East Coast, from the South Coast, from Canada. I've gotten phone calls and text messages from other continents, like all over the country. And I just realized I belong to this huge family of people who care about me. And I don't even deserve it. If I told you what's that, so if you, if you see me breaking out a little bit in sweat here, I, I want to explain why. It's if you look up in your dictionary, um, when it rains, it pours. They have a photograph of me there because it seems like once I got this diagnosis, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong around here. The upstairs unit has been out. It's crashed. It's dead. We're going to have to replace it. But what do I find? But there's a there's a Christian who said, hey, I think I can help you and get you in like, you know, really good. The downstairs unit went out. The dryer went out. Uh, the car went out. All of this just in the last few weeks. And every time we turn around, there's a North Boulevard member. There's some Christian who says, I'm, I'm going to help you with that. I mean, I, I want to tell you, it's been more generous than you think. It's been amazing. And those of you who have stepped into the gap, you can't imagine what a relief it is when you're struggling and someone says, here, I'm here. and Let me just care for you for a minute. We still have a cooler sitting on our front porch. And about every night I hear the cooler. Someone is putting food in our cooler. It's been sitting out there since March the 9th. We have, we have these bracelets that people are wearing that have one of my favorite songs on it that I'm chosen, that God is, he's on my side. He's not going to let me go. We, two teenage uh, young men, when this first happened to me, contacted me and said, hey, we would like to come mow your lawn for free until this is all passed so you don't have to worry about that. You got to see my lawn. It's, it's like, these are teenage guys. They don't have to do that. When I was a teenager, I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't thinking about this. And I just realized two are better than one. That it's, it's really true to have so many people who care about you. We have gift cards to restaurants. Uh, someone gave us gift cards to Kroger. I mean, several hundred dollars worth. We have gift cards to gas companies because we're having to drive to Nashville so many times. Two are better than one. <laughs> it was a theory. It was a great theory. Now I know it's true. And then my family, my son, who's a, such a sweet and generous person, his wife, Mackenzie, they, they, 
extended a trip just to help take care of me, my daughter, who's, you've heard me say, you can't have a better daughter. And oh my goodness, Julie, my wife, I've told her so many times, I'm so glad it's me because I didn't know the standard of care could be this high until you cared for me the way you have. She's been so good to me. She hasn't met, she goes every appointment, she takes off work. It's everything to take care of me. And I just realized this text, it was true all along. I believed it. But it took some hardship. It took some pain. In my case, it took some fear for it to become, you know, really real. And I want you to know this, guys. Like maybe I'm a role model right now. But every one of us is going to go through hardship. Like you may not see it coming, especially if you're young and strong and things are going great. But every one of us is going to go through a hardship. And when it happens, you have a choice. Are you listening? Even in marriage or divorce, you got a husband that's walked out on you. Every one of us has a choice. This is a time when you can either choose discouragement. You can just give up emotionally, spiritually. You can listen to the voice of the demons. Or you can say, this is my opportunity for my faith to become everything I knew and wanted it to be. I'm just encouraging you. As James says, count it all joy when you face various trials. Okay, I got two more scriptures and I'll move a little more quickly. My third one, and this is kind of a go-to scripture for me, and not everybody likes me using this scripture right now because it's like, well, it kind of sounds odd, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it anyway. It's the book of Job. It's the first chapter. It's uh, 21. So this is after Job lost everything in his life except just a few things. And Job sat down and here's what he said. I'm going to read it from the King James because to me it has even more power, the poetic quality. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. And here's my, here's my go-to text. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I thought about this text, how Job found the strength to say, I worshiped God when everything was good, when the Lord was giving. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I worshiped God when everything was good. Oh my goodness, God has given me a great life, guys. He just it has. I've had, <laughs> I think I've shown you all a picture where I grew up. I mean, what God has done in my life, he's been so generous. And I know what it was like to worship God when everything was good. But Job says, I worship God even when he taketh everything away. And I'm not blaming God for what's happened. I'm only saying whether I have plenty or whether I have none, I'm kind of learning. All right, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. I can bless the name of the Lord. And I want to say this. When you're going through a hardship or a pain, especially if it's protracted, all the demons of hell start lying to you. Now, demons are real and angels are real. I think you know that. But we don't interact with them consciously much in the West. We've been programmed not to see them. Doesn't mean they're not here. It just means we don't see them because we've been told repeatedly don't look for them. But all the demons of hell start whispering stuff in your ear when you have something that's really difficult. They tell you you deserve this. They tell you this is evidence God doesn't love you. They tell you this is going to end in a tragedy. They tell you that this is the end of everything for you. They will lie because they're good at lying. Their father, the devil, is the father of all lies. And deceit is the greatest weapon that a demon has. 
and you can't listen to them. You have the power of Jesus on your side, and in the name of Jesus, you can rebuke these evil spirits and the lies they want to tell you. And I'm going to tell you one way to do that is we worship God. Because when you find yourself blessing the name of the Lord, that's what Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. When you worship God, the demons run like roaches. They run, they run away like roaches. They can't stand to have the name of Jesus praised in their presence. And we can praise God even when we don't know what God's up to. So Julie's go-to text has been, Proverbs, for years, it's been Proverbs 3. Verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, submit to him and he'll make your paths straight. And that's actually kind of one of our go-to verses too now, but it's not my big four right now. But even if I don't know where God's taking me, I know that God's in charge. He's taking me somewhere, that I can trust him. And the way that I live in his presence while I'm trying to wait on the Lord to see where he's taking me and how he's going to unfold this story is I do so through praise, through worshiping God. I'll just give you just two or three things that have been really important to me lately. Every night we read a psalm together, Julie and I do. And it's actually like, again, theory. The, so the first 70 some odd psalms are mostly, but not all, laments. They're sad songs. We'd call them country music. They're sad psalms. And most of them are actually, they don't fit very well our context. David is praying, dear Lord, people are trying to kill me. They're out to get me. They're like dogs. Keep me safe at night. I know they're at the back door. And when you read that, a lot of times in life, it's like, well, you know, that sounds a little melodramatic. Although in David's day, it literally was happening. I mean, people really were trying to always overthrow the king. And the way you do that is you kill him and you kill his family. It was theory for me, but lately now I hear it and I realize, no, 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 no. These are cancer cells that are attacking. These are aneurysms. These, I mean, this is, these are real attacks. And all of a sudden the word of God, it pops off the page. It's real. And those first 70 some odd Psalms, they really are kind of, um, well, they're Psalms of lament. That is most of them. They're sort of, Lord, please help me, help me, help me. And and I would have told you probably 10 weeks ago, start at the end of Psalms because they're all praise. But now I get it. I know why the laments come first because we have to be able to pour our souls out to God. And then the praise comes naturally at the last end of the book. And just by reading the Psalms, I get this, this peace that God's watching over us, that God cares, that I can praise God in the midst of my suffering, that, that I'm never too far from God to worship his name. I'll tell you something else, man, I have never clung to the, the great songs of the church like I have these last 10 weeks. The music is, uh, so if I have an anxiety issue, which I ha I've told you I have, but I haven't so much lately. Music is the calming of the soul. These, uh, it's, I like all kinds of Christian music. I'm not trying to, I, I don't dislike certain kinds. I just know that for me, the hymns I grew up with do the most ministry. I've said that, I think, two other times. So you're tired of hearing it and I'm done now. But man, I just sing the praises to God and the demons run, the lies get out, the blood pressure, my blood pressure literally goes down when I start praising God. My heart rate goes down. That I get what Job is saying. You know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. I'm just going to praise Him. It sounds trite, guys, but I'm telling you it's not trite. It's not just theory. It works. It's true. It's a fundamental core truth of the universe. You're going to face hard times. I mean, many of you have already done it. You've been through all kinds of stuff. 
recognize that yes, the Lord gives, yes, the Lord takes away, but we can still bless the name of the Lord and blessing the name of the Lord is the road to trust. It's how we learn to trust that he's going to get us where he wants us at the end, even when we don't know how it will lead today. And let me end with one other scripture. It's Romans 8.35. So Romans 8.35 is one of those beautiful go-to texts. I'm going to read verse 35, but I'm going to go on down to verse 39 as well, because it's kind of a, it's actually a bigger unit even than that. But this unit will so minister to your soul when you're facing a hardship or a fear or a pain. And this is Paul talking to us. Now, Paul has already said in the same chapter, Romans 8, he has already said back up in 28 that God's working all things together for our good. And he said that we've been called by God, we've been predestined by God, we've been justified by God, we've been sanctified by God, and we're going to be glorified by God. And so having had that status, I mean, knowing now who I am, I am the child of God. Listen, just as there are demons around me lying to me, the best analogy, I've used this before, but let me do this again. If you ever run a race, you know, I've run quite a few races in my life. If you ever run a race, let's say Burradash, you're running those four miles. Um, Stacy and the Burradash board, they will have all these volunteers lining the road with cups of water and maybe a snack, or probably not a snack while you're running. But they're, they're just shouting out to you, hey, you can do this, you can do this, and so forth. Well, think of a demon as just the opposite. When you're walking through hardship or when you're stressing yourself out or running a race, the demons are lining the roads saying, you're not going to make it. You're not worth it. God hates you. They're, they're doing just the opposite of what those encouragers are doing. But what I want you to know, there are also angels in the room. They're on your side. And God is using those angels to minister to you and to be guardians over you. That is, they are helping to arrange a scenario where it becomes true that all things are working together for your good. And having said all that, Paul gets to the verse I want to share with you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's my verse. The answer, the way it's worded, especially in the Greek language, the language Paul was writing in, the answer is nobody. Nobody will separate you from the love of Christ. Or to put it in the rest of Paul's language, Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and Paul knew this because Paul went through hardship, he went through fear, he went through pain. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor any height, nor any depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates us from the love of God. It was a good theory. And you have to go through hardship maybe before it becomes a reality. God is teaching me this. He's teaching me that his love is with me. And he's teaching me that in a thousand ways of grace. I've had so much grace dripped on me these last 10 weeks. I can't describe it. Much of it from you guys. But everywhere I look, everywhere I look, I see another sign of God's grace. Matter of fact, it, I have to be careful how I say this. Let me just speak for me. I'm not speaking. If you have a sickness, if you have cancer, I'm not speaking for you now. I'm only talking about me. There's even a sense of grace in my life that I got cancer. For me, I don't want it. 
I, I'm praying that God will remove it. But for me, it's kind of God's way of saying, or I've taken it as a almost a generous statement from God that says, hey, I'm going to give you some time to get your house in order. Maybe 30 years. I don't know how long. But it just feels generous to me that God should say, have I got your attention? And I'm not blaming God. Don't hear me to be saying that. I'm not saying if you have cancer, God sent it. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, well, Daddy, my dad's watching. Daddy used to discipline us as kids. And I, you know, I don't I won't speak for my brothers. My, my sister never got disciplined, but my brothers, we all did. I'll speak for myself. I always felt it as a form of love. I really did. I always knew that daddy would that daddy didn't want to do it. He didn't want to have to discipline us. You know, he'd much rather leave us alone and us, you know, just go on our own way. But he disciplined me because he loves me. And actually I knew that even when he was doing it. And I always, much as I didn't like it, I appreciated it as a form of discipline. And I I felt it as a form of love. And um, you know, whatever else we want to say about the what the hardships we go through, God uses them, not that God causes them, but God uses them as a form of discipline, and you only discipline those whom you love. And so God's love is even in the discipline of the hardships of life. And we can see it that way in so many ways. The hardship strips us away of things that that really were blocking us from becoming holy or were blocking us from loving others. We're blocking us from, from, from maybe being the pure person we were supposed to be. And in so many ways, it's our hardships and our fears and our pains that purify us and therefore demonstrate to us that there's not, that this, not only is this not an act of hatred, it's not just, it's not, it's not only is it a sign that God has, doesn't like me anymore. It's the opposite. It's an indication that God loves me enough that he's going to let me be purified. He's going to let me become more like he is. I really mean that, guys. And I understand that, that when I say that, I have to tread very softly because it sounds like I'm saying, if you have a hardship, God made that happen. I do know God can do that, but I'm not blaming God. In fact, I'm thanking God that he's using it. Not that he caused it, but he's using it as a form of like really helping me focus on what matters the most. Like, I'll just be honest with you. Those of you who are suffering, I care a whole lot more about you now than I did 10 weeks ago. And I cared about you back then, but I hadn't, I didn't know. I just didn't know. I didn't know how bad it felt. And now I think God's making me a better minister. Am, am I, do I regret that? I don't, I don't regret it. He's making me a better, he's making me more like Jesus. I'm just saying, we get to pick that. When you face your hardships and your fears, when you face pain, you get to pick. You can become discouraged. You can let go. You can say, you know, he doesn't love me. God's not doing what I want. Why won't he help me the way I want to be helped? Or we can say, this is my chance for all those theories, all those promises, all those scriptures and those doctrines and those teachings. This is my chance for them to become real. Use your hardships to root and ground your faith in the rock-solid truths of Jesus Christ. We all face hardships. Mine are, mine's a light affliction compared to many of you. But we all face them. You will face them. Get yourself ready for them. So when that, when that baby's born, so to speak, 
you really do understand parenthood. When the hardship comes, you really do understand the love of God. You really do believe in the resurrection. You really are prepared for what comes your way. You really do flourish and mature, as James says in James, the first chapter. Guys, I really, I can't tell you how much I've missed being with you. More than anything, besides seeing your faces, I miss sitting there and singing and praising God with you. I can't wait to get back with you as well. I'm grateful that you allow me to do this. I know watching on videos, it's okay. It's not the same, but it's okay. I know me sitting in a chair, it's a little different. But I want to thank you and I want to say to you, I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you. It's real. It's real. And God's going to give you an option one day of saying, all right, I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to stand on it because I know it's real. And when you do, you got to find a blessing. You could not have gotten any other way. And we'll see you soon, okay? So um, wherever you are, you can stand up and let's sing together.